Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 26, 2, 5, and 10. As always, I am your host, KC, accompanied by Ben Stu. Benny, give him a shout. Love that song. Perfect. Uh, I think road, one of the perfect road trip songs during the summer with the window down. Oh, absolutely. Going old school. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not a, uh, a green guy, but I mean, w- would you be having some green in the air with that or what? Definitely. I mean, so just finished Mad Men for the fifth time and it's got me back into the Mad Men soundtrack, which gave me the inspiration for that song today. But I uh, highly recommend, even if you don't finish the show, listen to the soundtrack. It'll bring you guys back. All right, and um, a lot of stuff this week, a lot of, a lot of things in the outlines. Uh, where do you want to start off? I, th- I think we should start off in uh, the bean with Big Z. We'll go a little Zesus Christ on him. Yeah, exactly. Um, Big Z gets a contract extension, another one-year extension. Uh, let me pull up the numbers right here. It is a one-year deal. For base of two million with player bonuses up to one million seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars, so he's taking a three million dollar pay cut because his total salary this year with bonuses and everything was six seven five. I have the bonuses in front of me, so he has a games played bonus. So if he plays ten games, he gets one point two five million. If the team qualifies for the playoffs, he gets another two hundred fifty k. If the Bruins win the Stanley Cup, he gets another 250k. Thank God. Um, no offense to Zidane Ochara. I, I don't mean it to be that way, but like the deal he signed for this season, I was a little perturbed about. I still thought it was pretty high. In retrospect, I mean, he still is at this time our second best defenseman. I, I it doesn't matter really which way you cut it or how you want to put it. Um, Big fella gets it done, 42 years old, just had a birthday, just hit the 200-goal milestone on Friday night, I'm sorry, Saturday night in Florida. Guy's producing, plays a whole bunch of minutes for us. PK, I know I ride him a lot, but, I mean, the guy's a freak. Like, the Bruins had to get their own exercise bike for him that would log his output because all the other bikes couldn't do it. So, like, the the guy is just a fitness freak, still getting it done at 42. I mean, there's another guy that plays down in Foxborough, still getting it done at that age. I'm just saying, I don't know if it's something in the water, something about being here. I'm not going to have the captain talk today because everyone knows which li- which part of the line I stand on with it. But I'm just happy. I feel like this is finally a deal for him that I'm happy about. Like, every other time I thought he was overpaid or whatever it was, but, like, this is perfect, and if he can produce at this, whatever he's doing this year, next year, sign him up for another year after that again, too, because if you look at some of our other guys there, too, John Moore sucks. We got him for five years at what at 2.75 or whatever it was. Sucks. I couldn't believe you guys gave John Moore five years. I, I couldn't believe it either, and not to mention, too, he's our seventh defenseman making more than what some of our other defensemen make, and he's awful. He's not even a little good. So to me, it's like, I, I don't know what happened with that deal. But, I mean, at least if we have Z out there next year, as long as everyone stays healthy, we can keep John Moore in the press box. And then, shit, maybe even the year after that, we do the same thing again. Yeah, I, I think the three biggest takeaways for me with this is, one, uh, the pay cut is vital just because, yeah, he's a legend for you guys. He's one of the mainstays of, as a member of the core group for the last 
13, 14 years at this point. Uh, but he shouldn't be going into next season on your top pair. And that's not because he's not talented or he hasn't earned it. It's If he's still playing 18-plus minutes a night next season for you guys, then Sweeney had a really bad summer when it came to filling out the rest of the defense score. Um, you know, McAvoy's on the top pair. You have Grizzlick. I, I think Char is better suited as being like a 4-5 or five guy uh, next year, playing penalty kill minutes and uh, putting him on a power play with his, with his uh, big shot. But other than that, he shouldn't be getting first pair minutes. Uh, the other thing is with the contract, he's kind of because of the shape he's in, and he's pretty much avoided any major injury over the course of his career. He's kind of on a CC Sabathia uh, plan at this point, where come back for a year if you still feel good, if the team still likes the way you're performing, we'll bring you back for another one-year deal and keep repeating that every uh, summer for Char until he decides to just hang him up or the team decides to move on. So they keep that flexibility there. The other thing is when it comes to kind of like how you guys, I know you don't want to touch the captaincy thing. And everybody knows that you feel Bergey should be uh, wearing a C and should have been wearing a C for years now. How do you think, do you think that's ever entered the conversation with Char at all when he signed this deal where He's taking a pay cut, which means they had to have a hard combo with him about taking a pay cut initially. Do you think that's because they laid out to him what their plan is for him next season in terms of minutes and how they're going to try and fill out the team? Uh, I mean, I honestly don't know. I, I think I think he has a lot of respect for the guys that are there. Like Sweeney, even though he's only been the GM for a couple of years, he was the assistant for a long time. Cam's been there a while now. I think the ownership group has been very good to him throughout the years. And I don't want to say it's like a sympathy contract because because that's not what it is. I just think it's kind of respect on all levels and everyone's just kind of touching like, hey, you know, we have to sign Charlie McAvoy. I mean, Zidane O'Char knows that. We have to sign Brandon Carlo. Yet again, he knows that. I do think that keeping him around still helps produce Carlo a lot better. So on that end, it's good. And the other thing, I always used to joke with you about how when we had both McQuaid and Miller, they would always split a season. So now with you know, McQuaid being gone, Chara could you know essentially split a season with Miller or pick up the pace when Miller's out. Yeah. And I think Chara celebrated his new contract extension by uh, pummeling Matt Martin. Yeah, I mean, it came out on, I believe, Saturday. It was either Saturday or Sunday the extension came out. But obviously you knew there was talks beforehand, but yeah, hats off to the big fella. I think it was actually his birthday when that happened, and he just absolutely ragdolled them. Like, and Matt Martin, is in my eyes, he's a tough customer. Like, Maddie's done yeah. this a long time. He's a big boy, and Z made it look easy. L- little scary that the guy's, you know, now 42, still has the size that he has, and he still has his strength. Like, he's a fucking monster. And an, another little tidbit, too, because now I'm pulling this up. Um, his estimated career earnings after this contract now, uh, only $95 million in hockey. So You know you know what's crazy? Cedeno Chara, a Hall of Fame defenseman, Stanley Cup winner, Norris Trophy winner, captain of one of the original six franchises, basically the most unique defenseman in NHL history and one of the best of the last 15 years, his career earnings is, I know it's a different sport and CBA and everything, but 
it's just like a comment on how underpaid some of these franchise guys are in hockey, even a guy like Crosby. But he's earned less than Sam Bradford has in his career, the guy who's always hurt, basic guy out of the league at this point uh, in football, the quarterback. He's earned like $141 million as a bust first-round draft pick and Char is at under 100 Another thing that we can touch on, not today because it'll take a lot of time, it'll be a lot of back and forth, but I always see this question in the Bruins fan group pages as to should Zidane Ochara's number be retired in Boston? And one of the biggest things I always see is, well, he was the captain when we won the Stanley Cup, so yes. That doesn't matter. Yeah, because I'm like, so you're trying to tell me that Dustin Brown should get his number retired? <laughs> uh, so, like, obviously we can have this conversation in the offseason what's a little bit slower. But um, I would love to get other points of view on that because I know where I stand on it. And yet again, I know I probably stand there because I'm pretty harsh on the big fella. But it would just be nice to get other inputs. So, I mean, yeah, get, when it gets a little bit quieter, we can definitely have that conversation. Yeah, I mean, I can see it happening, not because he was a captain, but, I mean, he's in that group of, I think, four guys in Bruins history that have played 900 games or more with Bergeron, Sweeney, Bork, and uh, Busek, I think, and Wayne Cashman, so five. Damn, look at my Bruins knowledge coming out. Um, so, with the cup and everything else, I don't think the captaincy has to do much with anything. Those that's really comes off as something where, the same type of fans that would say the Thomas Cabriolet deal was worth it because you guys won a cup after you traded for him at the deadline, even though it basically did nothing to help you. Yeah, he was he was useless to us. But, yeah, well, I mean, if anything, he should be thanking us because he won a Stanley Cup, and he <laughs> would not have won one north of the border. Eh? Yeah, so we can get into that over the summer. We can get into a couple of things about Hall of Fame and Jersey, Jersey retirements for our Rangers and Bruins. All right, uh, getting away from the bees, where else do you want to go? I want to go with Stammer down to Tampa Bay. Stamkos setting the all-time goals record in Tampa Bay Lightning franchise history. Uh, he's currently, well, he broke it by scoring his 384th goal, passing uh, Vinny LeCabollet. Uh What's interesting about that is uh, Vinny did that in 14 seasons across 1,037 games. Stamkos did it. In 11 years and 735 games. So three less seasons, almost 400 less games to uh, pass them in the goals mark. And mind you, Stam- Stamkos has that 11 seasons on there, but one of them has the asterisk when he ended up breaking his ankle. So, I mean, yeah, basically like it was lockout. like, yeah, so, I mean, basically it's like nine and a half seasons. No, that actually, I don't know how this slipped when we talk about Ovechkin. If there wasn't two, weren't two Actually, maybe only one lockout and like a strike shortened year in his career, he would definitely be able to pass Gretzky at that this point if he kept stayed healthy. Yeah, that, uh, that's an interesting point. That could be another summer one there. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like where we're going with this. Um, yeah, Stamco is finally passing LeCavier. I was a huge Vinny fan, man. I thought Vinny was a great player. And I know um, he wasn't in the lead, but another player down there, like Marty St. Louis. Yeah. And it seems like. You talk to any of those guys, they all love Stammer. And he seems like the man, uh, I'm sure everyone who listens to this probably listens to Chicklets and they heard the interview with him. And, I mean, down-to-earth, hysterical, just 
good guy on and off the ice. Uh, trains with Gary Roberts, so you already know he's a freak. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, hats off. I've always been a huge Stamkos fan. In outside of like, you know, if you look at your favorite players and this like outside of your favorite team, he's definitely in the top five. Like, just love the way the the kid plays. Yeah, gonna score over forty goals this year, almost a hundred points again. Uh, just turned twenty nine. It feels like he's been in the league for two decades. Still under thirty years old. Uh, leader of the franchise. He's shifted between center which is his natural position and wing based on team need uh he shifted the wing a lot this year to play with Braden point uh shifts back to center when tyler johnson uh, is out or struggling uh never hear a peep out of him he never gets in trouble plays the game hard but not dirty at all i don't think he's ever really been involved in anything th- dirty except that time he jumped artem anisimov after uh anisimov did the old uh, gun reaction after scoring a goal against Tampa. But, <laughs> um, yeah, I think one of the more well-liked guys by fans and players around the league. And, you know, if the Bruins don't end up winning the Cup this year, as a Rangers fan, I'm rooting for Tampa just because a guy like Sam Coast, but also McDonough, who's bled for the, the Rangers before we traded him. And also, if they win a Cup, we get a first-round pick from him. So it works out either way. So yeah, hammering it hard. Uh, under <laughs> under contract at eight five until the well through the twenty three twenty four season. So he still has another five years down in Tampa. Yeah, so he's gonna be thirty four essentially when his contract ends. You should be able to get like another pretty solid deal after that. Oh yeah, and I mean production wise, I think he's just one of those guys that is still gonna be producing at a crazy level, no question. The thing that's interesting for me is Tampa Bay is going to be in a cap crunch again just because of all these guys that they have signed long-term. Kucherov's extension kicks in next season. Uh, they still need to sign Braden Point, and he's one of the guys that uh, NHL media keeps talking about of a possible offer sheet this summer. I know that's probably not going to happen. But when it comes down to it, who do you think? I know they're not trading Stamkos and Kucherov. Which one of those support guys do you think would you move first in order to kind of keep the thing going down in Tampa Bay? It's tough. I mean, looking at their roster when you actually talk about, like, support guys, I mean, they locked up Alex Killorn till 22-23 at 4.45. Yeah. That could be a guy, I mean... JT Miller is struggling this year. JT Miller, and he's still locked up for a while at 5.25. I mean... Andre Palat. So, I mean, those would be three guys. Yeah, I mean, I think they keep Johnson just because of his versatility because he can play both wings and center. But, yeah, I mean, I think those other guys, there's going to be a chance. Because, like you said, I mean, Point's going to get paid. And it doesn't help, too. Like, I always feel there's always certain things as to people cash in at the right time. And... Now, my question to you is, Stamkos is at 8-5, locked in for a while. Kucherov's deal starting next year is 9-5. I mean, granted, you can say the whole points thing, the Hart Trophy is probably going to win this year, but, like, do you think he could have just taken a million off, taken the Stamkos deal, and just kind of locked it across the board? But I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there in the sense of I know he's younger, but I mean, it's still, like that extra million bucks every year can definitely hurt you, especially in the cap crunch. 
Yeah, that that's an interesting thing. Glenn Saylor had a thing of nobody makes more than a captain of the team if the captain signed long term. And that led to some situations in the past with the Rangers. If I was Tampa Bay, if I was Kucherov, you know, yeah, your market value is different than when Stamco signs his deal just because of basically cap inflation and things like that. But I would want to be putting the team in a situation where not only am I getting paid, but I want to keep these guys around. Like, it makes my life easier. So I would have kind of gotten a good PR and also the good experience at the franchise by saying, listen, Sam Coast gets 8-5, give me 8-5, an extra mil, and then however you want to work the rest of the roster, that gives you a slightly more breathing room under the cap, at least for call-up-wise throughout the year. And then everybody looks at Kucherov as like, wow, they don't want to get paid more on Samco's, all that stuff. I don't think it's a major thing, but it wouldn't have hurt. One random tidbit, because you were talking about how Glenn Sather did the whole captain thing. Yeah. Um, I know this is a hockey podcast, but um, I read the book about Sir Alex Ferguson, the Manchester United manager for all those years. Very good book. I would recommend it. But one thing I came across in that book was that he talked to the owners at Manchester United and for all the hours he puts in, all the film, everything else, blah, he came up to them and he told them, he goes, there is no reason why a player should get paid more than me. And legitimately, <laughs> th- they paid him more than the players every year. So he was making, you know, 20 mil a year. So I wonder if at some point coaching kind of makes the flip in the NHL as to, hey, you want me, you're going to pay me. Yeah, I mean... I think that that's an interesting thing because coaches' salaries aren't under the cap. So, like, the team can play and basically pay whatever they want. That would, I think, only work for, like, three or four guys where they're, like, their own brand. They can alter franchises wherever they go. And they say, listen, I'm your most important person in this entire organization. Why is a third-line guy who pops 15 goals getting paid more than me? Guys like... uh trots and uh like quinville and stuff like that so that's interesting 20 million dollars a year for a fucking coach holy shit yeah and and i mean the way he broke it down i mean i understand it and obviously when you look at some people when it comes to you know talents you're like wow this could be the most talented kid i've ever seen and at the same time for a coach to be like no one should make more than me for all the hours and shit which technically he's right i mean the players come in, they practice, they get their treatment, they go home, do whatever you want. This guy basically sleeps there. You know, you wake up, you go right there, you, you're there till you have dinner and fucking go home, rinse, wash, repeat. So I get it, but definitely a, a cool little tidbit for sure. My one counter to that, if I was a player agent, would say, yeah, how many people are buying his suit jackets and paying for the organization that way? Yeah, but at the same time with the PA and everything, you know what I'm saying? It's just one of those. Hey, yeah, yeah. But if they sold his suit jackets, I'm sure people would <laughs> buy them there. They're crazy over there. <laughs> um, yeah, talking, keeping it going with like different milestones and things like that. Uh, Rossman's down leaning up in Boston, uh, Buffalo. Uh, having a fantastic rookie year uh, at our midway point on our podcast uh, about two months ago. I had him as the lead runner for rookie of the year in NHL this year, just because all the things he's doing with all the minutes he's playing as an 18-year-old defenseman. Uh, but just recently this past week, 
He became the second highest scoring 18-year-old defenseman in NHL history. He passed Bobby Orr uh, for second place all time for scoring by an 18-year-old defenseman. And to keep that theme going, uh, he's one of basically a group of five. Aaron Ekblad, Noah Hannafin, Zach Rogozian, uh, Lucas Visa, and Brent Burns are the only current NHLers who played 30-plus games as an 18-year-old defenseman. And he's on pace to play all 82. He's also on pace to crack 40 points as a rookie defenseman, which would place him second all-time before his head coach, Phil Housley, who scored 57 as an 18-year-old. So what do you think on his progression as a rookie this year and some of the names that he's basically putting himself up there with? Yeah, I mean, the company he's with right now is huge. Another thing, too, is I think he goes under the radar because they had a really strong start, kind of fizzled out. But Phil Housley, man, up there, talk about that kid fall like he couldn't fall into a better spot for a head coach. Like a guy who's been through the same thing, big pick, needed to produce like the whole nine. So I think on that end, it's very good for him to at least have someone who understands. I mean, maybe not the language barrier, but understands (laughs) like the placement and everything else. Yeah. I mean, the kid's been a silent assassin on that end because We've talked about the other people kind of jumping ahead of them, Bennington, Carter Hart, Pedersen. Yeah. It's been quiet for him, but, I mean, it's been slow and steady. I think the kid is adapting to the NHL phenomenally, and being able to do it under the radar, even though, like you said, all the company he's in and everything else that's not under the radar, but to be this low in people's Calder Cup, like, you know, their standings, I think it speaks words that this kid is going to be like a Nicholas Lidstrom in the sense of he's going to get it done. He's not going to say boo. And then you're going to look at his points and be like, holy shit, the kid got 70 points this year. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, he did. <laughs> you know, it's like just one of those things. Yeah, I mean, I think even a guy like Morgan Riley, even playing in a market like Toronto, is going kind of underappreciated for his point totals and offense this year. And that's saying something. But uh, yeah, Dolan. He's on pace, 9 goals, uh, 35 assists for 44 points. He's averaging over 21 minutes of ice time a game uh, as an 18-year-old defenseman. He's playing against the likes in the division, Brad Marchand, Bergeron, Matthews, Marner, uh, Johnny Huberto, all these guys uh, that he lines up against game in and game out, and he's holding his own. Of course, he's making mistakes. He's an 18-year-old defenseman. My thing is, he hasn't missed a game. He's on pace for over 40 points as an 18-year-old. He has averaging more ice time a game. He has more shots on goal than Pedersen, who everybody's saying is uh, the uh, front runner for Rookie of the Year. If he's in his prime, which he's not going to hit statistically for like another three or four years, maybe even longer. If he's doing this now as an 18-year-old, what's his offensive production and all-around game going to be like then? I think he has a chance to be better than Hedman. Oh, dude, I mean... The fact, like you said, he's 18 years old and he's playing 21 minutes a night, that's only going to get more as he gets older and he gets more comfortable in the league. And then that's going to be more offense, like, sick. The kid is going to be absolutely sick. My, so Sweden always has this issue outside of Lundqvist just because he plays in New York. They produce, they're like a talent factory in Sweden that they never get recognized enough uh, for the guys that they produce in terms of their personality, they like very keep their nose down, play the game, become some of the best players in NHL history or 
at the current time and not much press, not much fanfare. And another thing too, I've never really heard anything bad about a Swede. Like the, those guys come into the locker room and everybody loves them. Yeah. It's always Finland. Like Yarkuru too. <laughs> yeah. Those angry Finns. <laughs> um, yeah. So speaking about angry, uh, Mike Babcock, uh, last week had an interesting comment when he was speaking to the press about the Maple Leafs kind of funked out there and uh, Anderson has been slumping lately their defense with some of the injuries they've been battling and even guys that are healthy have been really struggling uh, they basically blew any opportunity to catch up to Boston for a second in the Atlantic division uh, but they're asking Babcock about you know the defensive structure the system and things like that and his response was Quote, there are other teams that have done a better job when different players are out than we have keep keeping on going. That just tells you what state you're at, and you just have to keep adding better players, end quote. Thoughts on his little kind of shot at uh, the GM? Well, I read the, the rest of the quote, too, and he was basically saying that we're on the same page. Like, Kyle knows it, too, and he's trying to rebuild the farm system and bring in and draft better players. And... For a first-year GM in Dubas, I mean, what's he going to say? Like, yeah, he's right. Like, you, you, <laughs> you can't really argue with him in the sense of, like, it's your first year officially taking over the team. You know where the flaws are. And it's like, yeah, my job's to fix it. This is going to be my first, well, my second draft because he did the last one last year. But it's like, yeah, it's going to be my second draft. We got young kids coming up. It's a process, and, and it is a process. But at the same time, they're going to be in such a cap crunch that if Babcock thinks this is bad with injuries, mm-hmm. wait until next year. Wait just wait until you have to sign Marner to that big money. Tell me where your depth's going to be. Like it, It's just not going to happen. So if he thinks it's bad now, they're going to have to wiggle something, whether they trade somebody and open up some cap room to bring in some serious depth guys, or they're just going to have guys on two ways that are just making league minimum. They'll, like, send them up. They'll they'll be there for their 875. If this guy doesn't work down, ship them back down to the AHL. We'll bring the next guy up. And it'll be a fucking tryout all year. And they're yeah, going to rely on their top two lines. Maybe they can bring out of retirement Dimitri Yuskevich. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the rest of the quote, the thing that was interesting to me besides that first part was he ended it with, uh, we're all trying to do it so we can get to be like these teams like Tampa. Tampa to me is just a model of what depth is and what, and it doesn't matter if guys get hurt or not. Tampa is an extreme example just because it took a few years to get to that point where they not only hit on their high draft picks, they were hitting on their fourth, fifth, sixth rounders, undrafted free agents. They were making trades from other guys, other teams' prospect pool before those guys turned the corner and then. Tampa had him on a cheap. Toronto, I think their one mistake is, yeah, they hit on Marner. They hit on Matthews. Both of us could have done that. The issue for me is they don't have enough guys on their rookie deals or uh, first deal after the entry-level deals that are producing enough to the team. They're really top-heavy, and they're constantly having to try and fill out with free agency and trades, depleting their prospect pool. So I think it's like a cycle that Toronto is going to end up getting himself caught up in unless they, some of these guys drafted in 2017, 2018 start uh, making significant progress for him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a hole. And, and like you said, more than anything, this is a process. 
And like you said with Tampa, they hit on a lot of things that people normally wouldn't hit on. So for them to go fishing in the dark and say, ah, our sixth rounder this year, he's going to be like Kucherov. Yeah. That's a fucking pipe dream. Like, you legitimately need to hit. And I know when you go later on into the draft, basically you're going down to size, potential, speed. Like, you look at certain things like, well, this kid can fly. You know, we'll worry about the stick handle, the other shit after. You know, and that's fine. I understand that. And you're hoping for players to develop and a whole bunch of guys take different routes, whether it's major junior or whether it's college. Like, I get that. But at the same time, you can't just have a pipe dream of our undrafted free agents are going to hit. Our late yeah. round draft picks are going to bloom into these beautiful flowers. Like, or even like these have un- to be unsigned better. free agents like VC and stuff. I just... The problem is this, the the other thing up there now is this. As a player, if you get an offer from Toronto, I don't think it's going to be your highest and best offer. And some players nowadays want to get paid and they want to take the money, which is fine. I don't blame guys. If they think they deserve to get paid, go get paid. You're not going to get that up there because they're already so set against it there's no way they can go around it. it. Like, it is what it is. So either you think you can go up there and help them contribute and possibly win a Stanley Cup, or you're just going to be shying away from it, saying, no, I'm all set, I'll go somewhere else and make another mil, mil and a half, two mil higher. Yeah. And then you have to deal with all the media and the, all the talk show shit that comes with playing in a market like Toronto. It's like playing in the New York of New York market in baseball. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure that's another thing, too, where you, you see some people, like Cam Atkinson, he goes to Columbus, loves it. It's quiet. No one bothers him. He, no, they don't know him outside of the rink. You, you go to Toronto, you can't even fucking go pick up takeout without getting harassed. You know, like, <laughs> you, you can't blame people for making certain decisions, whether it's a personal decision, whether it's a family. Like, I I think there's a lot of things with Toronto where, it brought JT home to his dream. Mitch Marner, an Ontario kid, is going to sign there. That's his dream. Austin Matthews, number one overall, getting paid up there, getting picked number one overall. That's the dream. These guys are in the dream. There's the other people that are living reality that are shying away. That's what it is. Yeah, so I think Tampa Bay is an all-time... This season's version of the Lightning is an all-time NHL team. So I think it's kind of unfair for teams to go, holy shit, Tampa Bay built their team this way. So if we do exactly the same way they did, then we're going to have the exact same success or come close to it at least. Uh, You have a team like the Rangers who are rebuilding. Yeah, it'd be pretty fucking sweet if all of a sudden two years from now we're like the Tampa Bay Lightning going for 130 points in their regular season. But seasons like that rarely ever happen. So I think Toronto just, this is a very big summer for them. Like you mentioned, their cap situation, they have to sign guys like probably Gardner. Uh, they have to fill out the rest of their top four. Kapanen's a free agent, Marner, uh, restricted free agent, Marner. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting if how much money and flexibility they leave themselves to fill out the rest of their roster. And also, if these guys who should be turning the corner as prospects and competing for an NHL roster spot 
can actually do it the next training camp. So I know they have a lot of young talent, but they're so top heavy that who knows that door may be kind of closed for a little bit if they don't make a run this year, depending on how things go this summer. And I want to see how big Babcock's leash is just because he can point the finger saying, I don't have, you know, I don't have the guys to make the product on the ice work. But at the same time, when you're the highest paid coach in the NHL, at what point of not getting out of the first round, is it okay? Yeah, I I think he's built himself like he's given himself a one year leash. So if any other coach would have been fired, I think he gets that extra year, or at least the next half season to see how things go. But I think Dubas is going to be there a lot longer than Babcock. Yeah, Tavares, Marner, Matthews. They will be there a lot longer than Babcock, <laughs> guaranteed. Um, another thing that actually just happened today was pretty much unprompted out here in California. Drew Doughty decided to let out some of his frustration with how the season has gone for the Los Angeles Kings. Uh, he was asked a couple questions. One of them was about the Norris Trophy race, uh, since he's pretty much a yearly contender for that. And another one is for his best friend in the National Hockey League, Matthew Kachuk of the Calgary Flames. Uh, so just to give a little bit of context on Drew Doughty's glowing words for Matthew Kachuk over the years, in March 2017, he said, quote, he's a pretty dirty player, that kid. In January 2018, he said, I have lots of friends and other teams, and I don't love him either. And then today, March 2019, uh, he who the Kings are actually playing the Flames tonight, so Daddy will get to see Kachuk on the ice tonight. Quote, no respect for him. I respect everyone else. I'll never talk to him off the ice. He's not respected by most of the people in the league. It's not just me, and that's just a fact. That's the first quote from today. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, to be expected, um, whatever Kachuk does to him, it just completely rubs him the wrong way. Like, <laughs> Doughty goes ape shit on the ice anytime they play Calgary. And Kachuk has him running around like a fucking madman. And, hey, Kachuk's doing his job. Like, legitimately, yeah. like, what else are you going to say? He's doing his job. You, you see some other guys, and th- they giggle. Like, you know, they won't even give him the time of day. But for whatever he does to Drew Doughty, he drives him fucking crazy. Like, if you're Kachuk and you see this quote, don't you just smile and go, perfect. Yeah. Hey, I'm sleeping better in my pregame nap. I don't don't understand what Dowdy is trying to do here. Like, you're just proving that he's under your skin, he's in your head, and now you're playing him tonight. What do you think Kachuk's going to do? Be quiet? No, he's going to be in his face. He's going to be uh, using a stick after the whistle. He's going to be snow showering his really quick when Dowdy's on the ice. He's going to be doing all that knowing that it bothers the shit out of Dowdy, and then he's likely going to take a penalty or take himself off the ice. So he's basically given the W to Kachuk and his whole little rivalry here. But my other question is, he's not respected by most people around the league. It's not just me. Do you think people around the league that weren't teammates of Matthew Barnaby liked him? No, and I mean, that's the role of being an agitator. That, that, that's your job. People aren't exactly. supposed to like you. That's the, Marshan does it, where guys don't like being with them, and then they come and they play with them, they're like, oh, he's one of my favorite teammates. You know what I'm saying? So okay. That's like the story. It's like Marshan, Claude Lemieux, uh, Sean Avery, Matthew Barnaby, like those type of pest guys that 
just get everybody hates them. And then when they come to your team as a fan or they come to a team as a teammate, you're like, all right, shit, yeah, I like playing with them. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, too, where this kid on top of it, he's on his entry level. So this is yeah. his third year in the league, and he has one of the best defensemen in the league upside down. Like, legitimately, Drew Doughty cannot deal with Matthew Kachuk, period. That, like, that's it. It's been that way since he's came in the league. It's like Adrian Brodor. And Kachuk knows he owns him. Knows it. Future Ranger, Matthew Kachuk. Hopefully. <laughs> Offer sheet that guy, man. Come on. Um, but then Doughty, after that, quote, uh, he was asked about the progress of the Norris Trophy race, and he, they were talking about guys like Hedman, McDonough, Straw, uh, uh, Strawman, and Brent Burns. And his response was, quote, all you've got to do is watch one San Jose Sharks game and you'll see Brent Burns get beat three times a game, literally. And everybody has him up for the Norris. I just don't fucking get it, end quote. End quote this, Drew Doughty. You guys aren't even close to sniffing a playoff spot. Like, at, at a certain point, I think you're just like, I'm not even going to talk about this right now. Like, I'm just answering questions about the game tonight. Doing something like this, like, Burnsy with his no teeth is just sitting there smiling, like laughing. And he's like, in the the best part about Burnsy is this too. He's probably like, yeah, I do get beat that many times a game, but yeah, I'm still better than you. I, I can still I'm win still a Norris. Boring at eighty points this season. Yeah, like I, I don't know. Like I understand there's a lot of frustration with what's gone on this year and everything, but at the same point, it's kind of just like, dude, give it up. Like just back away. You know, pump the brakes. Prefer the question a different way. Yes, everyone plays really well in this league. That's the best league in the world. Like, you know, thank you. Next question. Yeah, and the we had the whole situation with Kovalchuk being scratched like four out of the last five games, healthy scratched by Willie Desjardins, and Kovalchuk is frustrated with that. And it wasn't even because they were trying to play their younger prospects, which LA doesn't really have much of to begin with. It, they went with 7D and 11 forwards, and that's why Kovalchuk was scratched. So it seems like to see they see the end, the light at the end of the tunnel. Season's almost over in LA. These guys, you can tell, are visibly frustrated. A lot of these guys, like Dowding, Kovalchuk, are used to being on Stanley Cup contending teams, playing well, and they just haven't been doing that this year. So there's definitely a lot of frustration. Uh, when it comes to Dowdy, I know he's signed long term. He's one of the best defensemen in the league. This is the second or third year now where L.A. has pretty much not been in contention. And if I'm Dowdy, I don't like the situation in the coach's office at this point. It sounds like I would sit down with the GM and say, what is your plan for us to contend next year? Not three years from now, not two years from now. I want to contend in the 2019-20 season. What's your plan to do that? And if you're not happy with that, maybe like, you know what, maybe you should uh, move me because I don't want to spend my time in beautiful, sunny L.A. ending my season every first week of April. Well, the other thing is this, too. Desjardins sitting there big free agent signing. Yeah, Willie Desjardins is not the coach next year. That interim tag is like, the day the season ends, so does he. See you later, Willie. Appreciate your time. (laughs) Yeah, I don't get what he's doing. I know Kovalchuk's pretty much sucked ever since November, December. But he signed for two or three more, two more years. He's making like almost six million dollars a year, or over six million. Uh, he was brought in to be a first or second line goal scoring forward for you. So healthy scratching him for a seventh defenseman. 
it's not really going to help you long term and both these guys are going to be there in the locker room. Dude, that is a slap in the face. Slap in the yeah. face. And the other thing too, he's Russian, so when he goes off the deep end like he's always had like that temper. Can you imagine him going into the coach's office? So he, it's either one way or the other. He knows Desjardins out too and he's like, "You know what? Fuck you, Willie. Good. I'll I'll just sit here and enjoy my money." Or he probably went in there and he blew the fucking doors off, dude. He probably went ape shit. I mean, if that was me, I would be sitting there going, eight more games and then this fucking imbecile is not the coach anymore. If it was a guy that I knew the organization wasn't looking at firing, I would rip shit. But this guy, I'm like, whatever, sent me. I'm still getting paid. I know I had a shitty year. I don't think Kovalchuk is like that blind to his performance or anything else like that. He's pretty accountable. Um but I would just be going, eight more games, then you're out. See ya. Yeah, that's that. That's insane. Uh, uh, you want to get into the shootout this week? Yeah, you want to do the shootout? I'm game for the shootout. All right. You, I'll go. I'll uh, go first because you had one last week. I didn't really have one. All right. So the shootout. I know it's. I'm going to try and keep it mostly non-hockey related because we talk about hockey for the rest of the hour each week. But this one, I just got to go off on a little rant here. I've been kind of hitting on the Rangers' development plan for their young players and their prospects, either in New York or in Hartford, off and on throughout the season here on the podcast. There's about seven or eight games left for the Rangers this year. They've had struggles all year offensively in terms of their third secondary scoring. They've had trouble all year with figuring out who's Worth top six minutes on defense. They have a guy, had a guy in Hartford, John Gilmore, 20 goals as a defenseman in the AHL. Now, obviously, that's not always going to translate to the NHL. He just got called up on Thursday. Seven games left in the air. He's a free agent at the end of the season. He's had no opportunity to play a significant amount of time in the, for the team this year to determine. Is it just AHL scoring? Is he a fluke? Does he not fit our system? What? They call him up with seven games left. That's way too small of a sample size to do anything uh, to figure out if he's worth keeping around or not. Because why just give away a guy, even if he's just a power play specialist as a sixth or seventh defenseman? You don't find many guys that can pot 15, 20 goals a season. So what was the point of playing guys like Brennan fucking Smith and Frederick Clayson all year when you had a guy like Gilmore and Harford? So that's one point. The second point is Elias Anderson. Love the kid. Seventh overall pick in 2017. He's still very, very young. Like He's not a bust or anything else like that. But he's been basically yo-yoed in the lineup all year long. He's played 36 games in Hartford, 20 points total, a minus 24. But that's just because Hartford is brutal defensively. He comes up to New York. He's played 34 games in New York. He's been healthy scratched seven times. He's missed a game for an injury earlier in the season. When he is playing, he's averaging nine minutes of ice time a night, and he's not even playing his natural position as center. He's playing the wing. He's not getting put in a position to succeed. You're not going anywhere. Who gives a shit about Ryan Strom playing center? He can play right wing. He's a right shot. I don't care about Brett Howden. Yes, he was a first-round pick, but he's not going to be anything more than a fourth-line center for you. Anderson needed to be put. If you're going to keep him on a wing, Put him on a top line with Zibanejad because Kreider's out the rest of the year with his uh, hamstring injury. Nope, fourth line minutes. The same thing with Philip Heedle. He's played wing 
all year long. His natural position is center. They've traded Hayes. Everybody thought that was going to open up the center position for Hedo to play second line minutes, slide Anderson behind him at the third line center position, kept him on wing until the last game that they just played. So again, seven games left in the year, and then David Quinn and the Rangers decide, hey, maybe we should try out our two first-round draft picks from 2017 in increased minutes at the natural position and call up this guy that scored 20 goals this year. There's a guy in Hartford. Rangers have secondary scoring problems. Billy Meskinen. He has 31 points, 20 goals this year in Hartford. Still not one game in NHL this year. I have no clue what they're doing in terms of development. They've been scratching Bucinevich all year long. They finally got him to play consistently. He's had seven goals in five games. It's crazy what happens when you put young kids in positions to succeed. It's like one of the major sticking points they have with Quinn as a coach at this point. My go-to in the shootout this week is BC Hockey and their handling of the racist remark that was said to one of the Providence players. BC needed to win hockey East to get into the tournament this year. There was no question everybody knew it. So in game one of their tournament series last week against Providence, someone had a racist remark to the player on Providence. The player on Providence knew who it was. The referee was on the ice. He heard it too. He spoke to Nate Lehman, the Providence coach. The Providence coach spoke to the player in the handshake line. Player brushed it off like it was nothing. You can see Lehman talking to York about it. Nothing. The craziest part was this. Everybody knows who said it. I don't know what was said. That was not said. There was a remark. They could not distinguish who said it. But everybody heard it. BC and Jerry York do not suspend this kid. They don't, you know, game two, they don't sit him. Game three, they don't sit him. BC ends up winning the series, going to Hockey East and losing in the final ultimately. They come out with the athletic director who says, I sat down with the team. We do not condone these actions, blah, blah, blah. We were not able to distinguish who said it. With this being said, as a player, in the way the world is today, to go to a racist, like, get better fucking chirps. Like, like the, the shit you can say to people on the ice, they have them going all over the place, up, down, every which way, and to resort to someone's skin color is absolute bullshit. And the fact that BC and their Catholic prestige and everything else choose not to do anything, like, shame on you. Absolute shame on you. And to me, it's just disgusting. In that Jerry York, who is the the winningest, you could probably even argue the best college hockey coach of all time, and he just signed another extension for another two seasons, could not discipline a player. Absolute joke. That's that's my shootout for the week. Yeah, that's that's pretty ridiculous, especially seeing how the NHL responded to the potential homophobic slur that Morgan Riley set on the ice. Uh, that ended up not being homophobic, but the league wasted no time investigating, interviewing him, the referees, everybody in the ice. They played the tape over just to make sure he didn't do it because they would have punished and disciplined him for doing so. But complete opposite reaction. Yeah, I mean, Hockey East had a review, but they came down to there was no official finding as to which player or as to what was said. But, I mean, everybody knew it was said. So, yeah. yeah. Um, I promise this wasn't 
planned ahead of time as a segue based on your shootout topic. I just wanted to give a quick update that Dustin Bufflin is on the ice for the first time in about a month. I still know specifics on what his lower body injury is, but he was on the ice today wearing a yellow no-contact jersey. He's missed the last 17 games for the Jets. He's basically their number one or number 1A defenseman in Winnipeg, and they still are leading the uh, Central Division. So getting him back with basically a week left in the season, uh, probably next week, is going to be a huge boost to them. Uh, take that question mark away as they enter the playoffs. I mean, his lower body injury is probably those ankles trying to hold up that 280 frame. That was probably the issue, but that that's fine. Um, that's be generous, 280. Yeah, yeah 280's probably generous. <laughs> um, do we want to get into games and locks of the week? So just as an update, uh, I won lock of the week last week. Uh, Kevin lost his, so we have two picks left this week and next week in a regular season. Kevin has a one-game lead over me. I know if I was him, I would be picking Tampa Bay this week and next week as my locks of the week just to seal that deal. But just in case, I'm holding that hope that there can be some surprises. At least have us tied going to the last week. I think that would be a little little drama as we go into the playoffs here for us. I like it. I mean, keep keep them down to the wire, as they say. <laughs> um, do you want to go first? I will go first. Uh, my game of the week, Vegas at San Jose. They're locked in for the first round because neither of them is going to catch Calgary. I like it. Uh, two big, heavy teams coming at each other. Should be a nice preview for the first round. As for my lock of the week... I figure sometimes you got to put up or shut up and with what we're fighting for the, you know, in the end result, I got to pick my boys Wednesday, the Bruins over the Rangers, even though we haven't beat you guys this year. I just feel like if I got to pick something, I got to pick something that, you know, I'm, I'm behind. So that's me for the week. That is a great and fantastic pick because not only what I feel great about you losing, in lock of the week, but the fact that my Rangers could help me out with this bet here would be fantastic. At least one silver lining with this season. Yeah, I think it'd be that that could be a nice two for one for you. <laughs> um so my game and lock of the week are both on Sunday. So bringing it down to the wire uh for the next week's podcast. Sunday, March thirty first, my game of the week, I was trying to decide between uh Minnesota and Arizona for the wild card implications out west. But I'm going to go with, and this is a game I'm going to be at, Calgary on the road against San Jose. Basically, it's the last time these two teams are playing for the year. Depending on how the games go this week, uh, I know Calgary is playing L.A. tonight, which should be a win for them. Uh, it could determine who wins the Pacific Division and the number one seed in the Western Conference. Uh, so San Jose is six points behind at this, thing, at this point, but they have a game in hand. So they got to pull it together this week, hope for some help. Uh, for the opponents of the Flames. So I'm looking forward to that game, hoping that it's close enough that San Jose can pull ahead or at least tie for the division lead uh, next Sunday. So that's my game of the week. My lock of the week, I was going to go Boston over Detroit on Sunday, but I've been burned by Boston before, and I'm tired of seeing, you know, picking the Bruins over these shitty Atlantic Division teams. I'm going to have to put quote-unquote, my money where my mouth is because I picked these guys to make the playoffs. 
I even picked these guys to potentially win a division, which isn't going to happen. Uh, so Ben Shadamas has a little negative mark. <laughs> Columbus on the road against Buffalo, Sunday, 6 p.m. Eastern. That's my lock of the week. Blue Jackets beating up on the Sabres. All right. Um, quick thing I want to touch on. So we recorded and released last week, March 18th. The night after, uh, Edmonton was in St. Louis. And Zach Cassian and Patrick Maroon ended up having a tilt. Pretty good one, too. Yeah. Funniest part was, oh, well, the night before when Edmonton got into town, where did the guys go? Funny you ask. Uh, Zach Cassian and Connor McDavid were at Patrick Maroon's house for dinner the night before. <laughs> uh, even funnier, in warm-ups, Lucic was talking to Maroon and what does Cassian casually say from across the ice jokingly? Cut the cord, Luch. You got to cut the cord. And then the boys end up having a really good tilt. And uh, it was just funny because you could see them get a little, like, caught up together. Uh, Maroon ends up with Cassian sticking his hand. And Cassian says something. And then just the smirk that Maroon gives <laughs> is just great. And the boys have a good tilt. And, I mean... That's hockey, man. That's hockey. Like, I just thought that was great. I just wanted to touch on that real quick. Yeah, I love stories like that. I know back in the day, uh, they were former teammates as well. Bill Guerin and Scott Stevens would always go after each other when they played, and it was always this unspoken respect of, it would be like if me and you played each other, I don't think we'd end up having, like, a brouhaha throwing fists in each other's faces, but we'd be under each other's skin, poking, talking shit. Uh, so it's just that thing of I feel like you're more comfortable doing stuff like that to somebody you know and are friendly with and somebody you don't know, and you're like, I don't know how they're going to take this. Well, yeah, I, th I think there's always that point of it. Speaking of uh, getting other people's skin and people not knowing how to take it, uh, Joe Haggerty this week. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to give Haggerty the time of day. Because I think he's an absolute fucking joke anyways. But we just have to touch it because just because Marshan touched on it. That's the only reason why. Like Joe Haggerty, absolute hack, um, never predicts a trade. Every trade rumor he's ever predicted has never come true. So just completely useless. Just throw shit to the wall and hopes it sticks. Um, releases this tweet along with an article. What we learned in the Bruins' 5 nothing dominant defensive win over the New York Islanders. Are the Bruins better without Tory Krug, Tory Krug in their lineup? At least defensively, there's an argument to be made. And then we have a little article to the link. Marshan responds, what kind of garbage is this, Hags? You don't even watch the games. You just stand at the snack bar the whole time. <laughs> so, humor there. An another one, because this ended up popping up, so I figured I had to touch on this. On October 5th, 2017, what article does um, Joe Haggerty release with this headline on Twitter? Here's the question nobody wants to ask. Are we starting to see the decline of Patrice Bergeron after 14 brilliant years? Hags, I don't know how the fuck you're still employed. He sounds it, like a Bleacher Report guy. Oh, dude, he, he's awful. And, he, and he's like the CSN New England guy. I was going to ask, like, when did this happen? Because when I lived in Boston, he was, like, the media voice of the Bruins for, like, radio interviews. Uh, yeah, well, he, he, I'll give it to him. Like, he'll actually, like, ask questions so people have to, like, respond to shit. But it's, like, some of the shit he writes, it's, like, 
I get it. it. You're kind of, you know, a views-related thing where, you know, you have to get hits and views. Like, I get it. But at the same point, some of the stuff's like, hey, if somebody had a bad game, you want to rip them in a post-game report, have at it. But don't just start making shit up. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, hey, Matt Grizzlick's injured. Are, are the Bruins better without him? Like, give me a fucking break. That's the thing where there's a difference between clickbait and then reporting. And kind of confusing it, too. It's not fair to the players that you're spending a lot of time with. And they're basically helping you do your job. So, like, there needs to be mutual respect there. And writing articles like that isn't showing much respect for guys that have been helping you your entire career in Boston. Uh I think the general rule of thumb, there was a writer in New York that used to do this, was if a guy's having a bad game or two or even a week, uh, he would hold off in a writing. But once it got to the point where he felt like he needed to like basically put in a writing, this guy is struggling, here's how bad he's struggling, he would go to the player first and go, listen, I'm doing my job, uh, here's what I'm going to write, essentially, would you like to comment on it? and given the opportunity to defend himself in the same article where you call him out in. And you know what? Kudos for that guy for doing that. Because the only part where I like, th- this is the part where I really hate Hags too, because he'll go and he'll write this clickbait bullshit and these opinion pieces and everything else. And then he'll want to be in guys' softball games, like their charity softball yeah. games. And, sh- and it's like, dude, you can't be on both sides of the fence like that. Like, at least Felger... He says the Bruins suck, Bruins suck, Tuca suck, like, <laughs> and, and, like, and he's consistent the whole way through. Doesn't change, doesn't flip-flop. Granted, do I think he's a little overboard because he thinks everybody sucks? Yes, but at least he's consistent. And then Hags is over here riding people's jocks. Like, give me a break. I know New York has Mike Francesa, <laughs> the, the godfather of sports talk radio, but Boston just... Ha- what is it about that city and their sports teams that attracts these personalities? You have Haggerty for the Bruins. You have Felger and Maz in the afternoon on, I think, still more popular than WEI. Oh, yeah, Sports have, Hub, yeah. Then you have Shaughnessy with the uh, with the Red Sox. It's, I don't know. It's... <laughs> uh, yeah, I I love that shirt by Marsha, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so getting into... Today in NHL history, March 25th, uh, we have a few, and we're going to kind of bookend this episode a little bit uh, before we just talked about at the end. Uh, so in 1982, Wayne Gretzky reaches another scoring mark once considered un- unreachable when he becomes the first player in NHL history to score 200 points in one season. Uh, point n- number 200 comes when he assists on a goal by Pat Hughes in the 7-2 over the Calgary Flames at the Stampede Corral. Gretzky finishes tonight with 203 points and the season with 212. Uh, in 19, <clears throat> excuse me, in 19, where is it? Oh, I'm blanking here. 1995. Sorry, I wrote down the fact, but not the date. Scotty Bowman becomes the first coach in NHL history of 900 regular season victories when the Detroit Red, Red Wings defeat the Vancouver Canucks 2 to 1 at Pacific Coliseum. The win gives Bowman an NHL record of 900 wins. 417 losses, and for the newbies out there, 236 ties, which used to be a thing. Uh, in the year 2000, Pavel Boria, the Florida Panthers, scores twice in a 4-2 win against the visiting Canadians. It's the 89th goal of the season for the Boria brothers, Pavel and Valerie of the Calgary Flames, breaking a single-season mark set by Bobby Hull and Dennis Hull, who combined for 88 for the Blackhawks in 1968-69. 
The Warriors finished the year of 93 goals, 58 by Pavel, 35 by Valerie. And lastly, in 2018, Boston's Brad Marchand ties the NHL single-season record for overtime goals when he scores 28 seconds into OT to give the Bruins a 2-1 win against the Wild in Minnesota. It is his fifth OT goal of the season, tying him with Steven Stamkos, Jonathan Taves, and Alex uh, Galichuk of the Canadians uh, that have all done that since 2011. Who you got for shout-outs this week? Uh, shout-outs, First Lady, uh, kicking ass in uh, her jobs and her fashion styling. I love to see you commenting on all this stuff and giving your fashion opinions and advice, especially on sweatpants. <laughs> I-, I know she looks forward to my uh, comments on every <laughs> picture that goes up. So knowing that it makes her day makes me feel a lot better. <laughs> um, and my last shout-out. Uh, it's going to be uh, one of my good friends out here, uh, Viggy, Viggy Smalls. I uh, celebrated his birthday this past weekend, uh, rented a trolley, one of those old school San Francisco trolleys. I uh, had an open bar on board. There's about 20 to 25 of us. Drove us around the city uh, through the Castro, the, through Golden Gate Park, to the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, Dolores Park, which is like a big park out here where everybody basically drinks to get stoned. I uh, had a great time. He got so drunk that I ended up trying to speak Spanish to a parking meter. Uh, <laughs> uh, he disappeared into an alley. At some point, I had to. Uh, I was told uh, by the by the first lady and his first lady to go get him out of an Irish pub next door to this pizza place we were getting food at. And when I went inside, he said, "I have to get cash for the homies." And when I told him that there was no ATM inside the pub, he's like, you're a fucking liar. Leave me alone. And then just went into the pub. That was having a funeral reception, by the way. So I just let him go in. <laughs> so shout out to Viggy. Great birthday. Uh, maybe you can keep your uh, the throw up down next year. He sounds like an absolute beauty. <laughs> to Viggy Smalls, man. <laughs> um, shout out this week. Big Red, as always. This one may surprise everybody. I called Comcast this week because we got a bill, and I'm like, ah, like, I, I have to readjust this. This shit's crazy, paying this much for cable every month. And I got a guy on the other line, name was Kevin, and the dude was the man. Phenomenal. Bruins fan. I, I told him about the pod. He said he's going to listen, so hopefully he's listening to this shout-out. Um, told me they restructured their things, blah, 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 and he basically knocked, like, 35, 40 bucks off my bill every month, so... Kev, you're the man. Appreciate it, Bubba. Um, technically, this podcast can't go on without you because I need the Wi-Fi that I had to buy from you. So much appreciated. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, that, that's all I got on my end. I think, I don't know if that's conceited to give a shout out to somebody else named Kevin or just because everybody named Kevin is pretty uh, pretty down with Bruins and hockey. I think that's just like a New England thing. You know, a lot of people up here go with the Kev. Everybody likes how it's, you know, it's a good way to go about it. <laughs> a- anything coming up this week? Or? Uh, uh, I mean, opening day for baseball. I know I'm not in New York for the Yankees, which is a shame since they're going to be winning the World Series this year. It'd be a pretty valuable ticket stub. Uh, but I will be celebrating uh, opening day out in Oakland, which sounds like an oxymoron, celebrating in Oakland. Um, but I'll be at the Oakland Coliseum for the Oakland A's home opener, hopefully enjoying a nice weather and a nice dirty water hot dog. Other than that, I'll be at the Sharks-Flames game on Sunday. Uh, other than that, pretty standard, man. Just keep grinding. I like it, baby. Well, everybody, as always, we appreciate you guys spending an hour of your day with us. On top of it, um, yeah, I mean, 
All love, peace, and hair grease. You know how me and Benny get down.